I'm gonna come out and say it. I'm just gonna start. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go in hot. I'm gonna go in harder than hell, maybe. Oh boy, all the puns we're gonna do this episode. How fun! Oh my god, I'm so excited. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna Nick. I'm gonna say it. What are you gonna, I'm gonna say? say it. I'm gonna say it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry about the ball busting I'm about to do. Hades. It's only a nine out of ten. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's the whole episode. That's the whole episode. Hades. This is a pretty good game. Hades. Yeah. A 9 out of 10 is a game you, you should play. It's not a 10 out of 10. And let's dive into that. And people might be like, hey, Joey. Hey, Nick. I'm a fan of Garbage Game Club. I like it when you talk about games. I like to play along with them with you. I like to go over all, all things, right? But why... Why, why are you standing here and taking a podcast episode that's going directly into my ear holes about a game that not only did Nick do an IGN video review of and you talked about on Cyber Garbage? Why are we doing that? I thought we already talked about Hades. Maybe they didn't watch the show. Maybe they didn't watch the show, and you know what? I think that's a good. I think that's a good point. Maybe they didn't watch the show. Maybe they didn't watch your review. If they didn't watch the review, they should watch the review just to support you. I don't know why the fuck they wouldn't. Do yeah. That. Probably because they're an asshole. But you know what? I'll take the contention aside. I think that we have the opportunity here to talk about a game that is a solid nine out of ten. A game that should by anyone's accredited, true, realistic, smart list will be included on all the Game of the Year 2020 nominations. A game that you can argue is probably taken over a little bit of the uh, the cultural zeitgeist as far as, as indie or, or, or non-AAA games go over the last you know couple of weeks since it's mm-hmm. been released. A game that is Super Giant's fourth game. Third, if you don't count Pyre, which some people don't, so you know. Pyre's good. Here or there. It's a different game, but. Uh, a game that is, uh, has been around for two years now. Yeah, twenty eight some... since 2018. In some way, shape, or form, Hades was announced at the Jeff Keighley, Jeff Keighley's of 2018, where it was late in 2018, and they said, Hades. Supergiant's back. We're making a roguelike. Also, it's in early development. Also, it's going to be on the Epic Games Store. And everyone was like, what? And I know a lot of people who played it. I know a lot of people who tinkered around with it, tried it, played it in early access. Were you one of those people? No, I was not. Because when I saw it was announced, I was like, oh, I like Supergiant games. And then I was like, oh, roguelike? Oh, it's in early access? Oh, man. Because I, I truly, that was kind of a turnoff for me. Because the company known for making small, succinct, beautiful narrative experience were now venturing into the realm of roguelike, which meant, in my mind, I was like, well, I mean, there's no stories in roguelikes. Like, it's just, that's like why I like Supergiant. They know story in video games. And see, now, I was turned off. Not because of oh my story. I was turned off for the two for the two other qualifiers. Early at three qualifiers. First and foremost, Epic Game Store. Because really? I wave. You know what they say? Console wars are dead. Platform wars are still alive and beating in my well, heart. Console how wars are very much still. Dare happening. you? How dare you have? It's a free. It's a free app. I do not want to install the Epic Games. <laughs> I do not want to give more money to those motherfuckers. But um, they give the developers more money doesn't matter it, it's literally only rich. but it's literally they're not rich 
It's literally only better for developers to be on Epic Game Store. Lies and slander. That's not true. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the everyone's talking about fake news. Um, <laughs> Epic Game Store strike number one. Strike number two. Early access. Yeah, that was a big bummer for me. Why super giant games like? Why was this game available for two years in development and not just announced six months ago and released today? I don't. I'm interested in. Have they talked about the? Yeah, there's like a whole five part documentary, six part documentary series on YouTube from NoClip. It's basically when you're that small of an indie vo- developer, like at a certain point, if you haven't put out a game, you need to in order to continue to survive. And that was kind of their whole. Were people paying for it back then? Yeah, people were paying for it back then, but they they paid an, a cheaper price for it, and they got sure an incomplete build but they got every update that added more and more to the game so it is an early investment for people who think they're gonna like it essentially you're 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 risking a lot and by a lot you're risking like five bucks but yeah it's just a means of a developer getting a product out into the store that they can then earn revenue from and their entire plan was built around we are going to release in chunks and builds and take the feedback into account and then almost like a live service game people's comments people's criticisms and people's problems they would retool it there on the spot and then push a patch live that sort of thing strike number three for me which is why i wasn't focused on hades until nick reviewed it as a video game and told me i had to play it strike number three roguelike yeah and i feel like i have this weird ever-evolving relationship with roguelikes Mm -hmm. because okay hear me out i love slay the spire Mm -hmm. it's a roguelike it's technically a roguelike game so the spire is a roguelike game kind of a light roguelite a game that's much more about deck building and cards but a roguelike Uh okay i really like into the breach yeah that's just yeah yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Roguelike. I found out recently, I really liked Faster Than Light. Mm-hmm. Roguelike. Well, I think you like games that are in a small ecosystem of roguelike, where the, the experience is almost bite-sized in its serving, where everything feels like feature complete in a small self-contained environment that isn't a dead cell sprawling run that can take you who knows how long. And, and so that seems like that's the through line for all of those games you mentioned. Whereas me, my roguelikes, I do like Dead Cells. I like Spelunky. Uh, uh, and I like, um, I do like Slay the Spire. Um, but yeah, I like games that, I, I like the idea of runs, but I always feel like I lose steam on them because it's just like, why am I doing this? Like I'm slamming my head in a wall for what? Like just to, to beat the game? There's not really an enjoyment out of that for me. I like that all the games that I like that are also roguelikes because I'm including Hades in that list of four. And I think those are probably the only four. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also very much accomplishable on, on run one. Yeah. In theory. Like if you have a little bit of background knowledge and if you have some, well, learning that's, to that's do, every but, roguelike though. Yeah. I guess, but it's much harder to do. Like, I, I feel like it's, it's much more apparent in these. Like they're a little more siloed off. I, I liked Hades more than I thought I was going to. Mm. I 
even when I started to play it, I'm like, okay, I know. I watched I watched Nick's review. I read comments. I saw people were into it. And I'm like, okay, I'm not a huge dating simulator person. I don't care about all this storytelling and dialogue. I love Supergiant's art style. I love mm. Supergiant's VO and dialogue and, and, and character design. I think that their combat design and their general isometric stuff is fun. So... I'm like, okay, I'll play it for for the mechanics, which is kind of where I skew in games anyways, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to play a lot of this. Because there is... Hades is a good game mechanic-wise, and one that, while it does have great music and does have good dialogue, great podcast game. <laughs> it, it is a pretty good podcast game. Um, that, that, but the, the actual, like... One thing that I don't feel like I really got a chance to tap into in my review because the written review is different from the video review to some extent due to time constraints um, is just the idea of how every mechanic meticulously contributes to the overall game while also incentivizing you to never stop playing the game in different ways. The game is designed in an insidious way where it's just like, hey, what if you you use that spear you never do because uh now there's a little bonus if you use it isn't that fun and also uh you know if you do a run with this weapon well you're gonna get a titan blood this time because you know it's been a while since you've done a run with this like i like that there's so many mechanics that are constantly getting you to continue playing and experiment in ways that help you kind of uh break out of the mold i think that often in these kinds of games i find a play style that works in any roguelike and i'm like i'm just gonna do this forever until i win but I think what Hades does a beautiful job of, like, I miss, when people choose a play style and say, this is all I'm doing, they are effectively locking away content from themselves just because it's comfortable. Hades breaks that comfort mold by allowing you, rewarding you to explore and experiment. And it encourages you to, and it's fun to. I think Hades is a prime example of two years of very public iter- iterative design because mm-hmm. You're right. It feels like every aspect of this game as like a roguelike and just as as like a good video game is designed and iterated on to get you to enjoy playing more and more because there is six different weapons that each have four different options. Mm-hmm. And if I do math real quick, that's uh, six times four, six times two is 12 times two is it's 24 different weapons styles you can play as. And they're all pretty distinct, honestly. Yeah, I mean, the six weapons are the most distinct, and then their their aspects are kind of... There's I, at least 12 very distinct Yeah, weapons. for sure, for sure. And so you, you got you got 12 di- distinct play styles you can go through. Um, even um, the bosses change as you get better. The The way that you your collectibles that stay with you through your permadeath um, is really cool because there's different layers of collectibles. There's the ones that make you stronger. There's the ones that make your weapon stronger. There's the ones that allow you, you know, cosmetics and stuff around the house. There's the ones that make your companion relationship stronger. There's your companion relationships in general, which is a reason to... Because you, be, you can be farming for better weapons. You can be farming for better upgrades. You can be farming for uh, new trinkets. You can be farming for more relationships and dialogue. Like, there's so many different paths that mostly are parallel but aren't exactly parallel mm-hmm. to where you can run through the game a bunch of times just to focus on a relation one relationship or you can run through the game a bunch of times not focus on the relationships and focus on the weapons or your own upgrades so it's it kind of lets you dictate what you find is important 
And if you're someone who thinks that all of it is important, there's so much gameplay here for you to unlock. This is a menacing game for anyone who wants to try and 100% it. Yeah. You're doing <laughs> hundreds of hours. How many characters are there? How many different fish are there to catch? Yeah. How many different... Also, I wish the fish spot spawned more. <laughs> Very annoying. There's a boon for that. Yeah. <laughs> but do, do you want to unlock all the boons? Yeah. Do, do you want to max out relationships with certain people? All the people you want to max out relationships with, there's like 20 different people you can, you can have relationships with. Do you want to do you want to unlock all of people's like weird side quests that give you different companions? Do you want to unlock all the weapons? Do you want to completely run... build out the palace of the undead? Yes. <laughs> There's so many different layers here of things that you can do and you can't do them all at the same time that they're if you're okay playing this game over and over and over again, either back to back or for an extended period of time, or maybe over the course of literal years, if, if that's like your forte, if this is like your Switch game that you keep going back to for mm -hmm. a game or two every night, there is so much content here. So much that the Wikipedia pages for Hades haven't even properly updated themselves to tell you how to unlock stuff because <laughs> there's still stuff in this game at time of recording that people don't have a firm do A, B, then C to unlock. Yeah, there's, there's so many possible permutations of things you need to do in order to get other things, which is cool. It's interesting that people are still uncovering stuff now, what, a month after release, roughly? So, like, it's a massive, sprawling game. But you touched on something that I think really struck, stuck me. is just, you know, I think the true test of the roguelike, no matter what systems are in place, is, is it fun to go and smash your head against the wall until you have a successful run? And that was the thing that I was... I was convinced that no roguelike could get me to love playing the same content over and over and over again. But I think Hades really does just an unprecedented, beautiful job of making every single run feel fun and new and interesting. And I think a lot of it is the incidental dialogue. The game's creative director and former editor-in-chief of GameSpot, Greg Kasavin, he said on Twitter that he wrote over 300,000 lines of dialogue in the game. And that really shows because I don't think I've ever really come into a boss encounter. And I'm keep in mind, I'm like 50 plus hours in where the boss said the same thing to me. I feel like they're usually had something new to say and they were usually commenting on my previous performance. And that blew my mind. There's like a million lines of dialogue in the game between different characters is what they were talking about. Like a literal million. Like the best example is the first boss with Meg. The first time you, you get to the first area's boss of um, the underworld. I forget, uh, what's the furthest reach of it? I can't remember. Um, Tartarus. In Tartarus. At the end of Tartarus, you encounter the Furies. The first one you encounter is Meg. She's like the semi-love interest. Like they got a thing, but she's like, I got to stop you. You either beat her or lose against her the first time you fight. Probably going to lose against her the first time. And then when you come back, she's like, oh, back for more punishment. And then they have, like, a wise back and forth. That was the thing that caught my attention. I was like, did she acknowledge? Like, well, obviously I was going to lose or whatever. So whatever, you know, not a big deal. But the more I played through the game, the more I realized, like, 
if I was successful against her the previous time, if I was a failure against her previous time, she acknowledges it, and as does uh, our main character, Zagreus. But even more interesting is once you beat her enough, she starts to cycle in her sisters. And now the sisters, like, the, the I think the, the quintessential example is as you enter the boss chamber, Zagreus will say, all right, who is it this time? Is it Meg? I'm going to guess it's Meg. And then someone pops, someone else pops up. He's like, oh, man, wrong. Like, th that's just a perfect distillation of how this game treats all of its encounters where there's just all this incidental dialogue. You never know what these charming characters are going to say, which is, I think, part of the appeal. It does that God of War Mimir thing where I feel like I never hear a same story because the second a game tells me a line of dialogue I've heard before, I there's like a, a mechanism in me that just shuts off of like, I'm just playing a video game. But this feels like it's something that's truly evolving with you, which is nice. Yeah, and throughout different, like, every character does that. Yeah, and they even bosses get harder the more and more you do, like, the better you do against them. Like, Meg, eventually, instead of fighting one Fury, so then you'll fight two. And eventually, you'll fight all three at once, which is pretty tough. Or you'll fight Theseus and the Minotaur, who are normal, but if you do better and better against them, you'll fight... Theseus donning golden metal armor and chain machine guns, like dual machine guns, while the Minotaur's spinning around like a madman. Like, it's just, it's so cool how they try to, like, well, he beat me last time. I got to be better this time. This is how I'm going to do it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm a big fan of the way the game's New Game Plus system works mm -hmm. because it gives a lot of player um, control. So you're talking about the heat. So the heat system, what that is, is like after you be, have beat a run with a certain weapon, you kind of lock yourself out from getting those rewards because mm -hmm. first boss, second boss, third boss, four boss all have a different collectible reward that stays with you through death. Mm -hmm. um, well, technically the first and the fourth boss are the same, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> um, but then once you, you know, beat Hades, you make it out of hell and you bring yourself back into hell. Um, because spoilers, Zagreus can't survive on the surface. He has the same problem that Hades does. Mm -hmm. um, they, you, you, you run into the heat system. And the way to refresh all of those rewards is you have to have a level of heat, which is basically you turning on a modifier to make your run more difficult. And that list of modifiers runs the gamut of a lot of things from enemies have plus 10% health. Enemies do plus 20% damage. Enemies do you know, move 30% fast. You only have eight minutes per chamber. The first hit, enemies are invulnerable. You know, bosses have additional move sets. Um, armored enemies have special abilities. Like, there's so many ways that you can mix and match and customize your run to, you know, increase the difficulty in ways that you think are fit or fun. Like, I didn't want to do percentage-based increase to enemy damage or, or <laughs> decreases to health. I think that's boring. But I can increase the heat in, in ways where the bosses get harder because they gain a new move set or they gain Yeah, the, the Pact of Punishment Extreme Measures basically will add another phase to every boss fight, essentially, where they do things you've never seen them do before. And it's truly a way to spice up the game once you're you know, 15 runs deep. Yeah, once you're 15 months deep and you're beating Hades and you're like, oh, let me let me do it on extreme measures. And then you're like, oh, no, he has a fourth phase. <laughs> it's it's tough, but it's fun. It's really cool. Um, yeah, I, I there's just 
there's so much in the game. One thing that I didn't get to talk about in my review that I'm kicking myself for is I really love just uh, I think the 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 queer representation in this game it, because dude, I wish you would have got to talk about that because then I'd have been like this guy. Well, no, then the comments would be like, oh look at that But I really think that this game just just. It just handles it all so maturely and like matter of factly, where it's just like, yeah, people in ancient Greece were very uh, bisexual. Like, that is not an unusual thing in ancient Greece. So, it just, it's not a selling point of the game where they're like, we, you know, looking at something like, um, what's that? Uh, d the new Don't Nod game where they're, one of the characters is a, a, a trans woman. And like that, I'm not privy to what you're talking about. What are you... Tell me why. That's what the game's okay. called. Yep, yep, but, uh, yep. Uh huh. Yep. But there's like a character like we have a trans woman that is our main person. Like it, it feels like weird that it's like this is a selling point of the game. Like Hades handles a lot of its queer relationships and queer representation in such organic, natural ways that just I'm like, yeah, this is just how things are in the world. And so of course they're like that in ancient Greek. In ancient Greece, I love that Zagreus can have a relationship with Thanatos and he could also have a relationship with Meg or Dusa and it's just very much yeah this is just how it is and also like poly like a polyamory that was also very common in ancient Greece you can have a relationship with all of them and you don't get penalized for it a la something like Persona where on Valentine's Day if you date more than one person they all confront you it's very sad so, like, I just feel something that is authentic to the mythology it's pulling from while also representing it in a modern context that feels astoundedly prescient, refreshing, without feeling preachy. It's just very matter-of-factly with how it represents everything, which I love. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, I... I like the way that you unlock character dialogue by giving them gifts, which means you have to do repeat runs to see them over and over mm -hmm. again. Uh, there's times where it feels like the game... I, I spent some time in Hades waiting to get certain dialogue prompts, which I found to be frustrating. <laughs> but I was also speedrunning the game in a sense. Like, yeah. By the time I had 20 runs, I had eight escapes, mm -hmm. which I think, not to brag... Is a little above average. You know, I don't have a lot of. I also that are played the game without any guides, Bucko. <laughs> hey, I don't understand. Wait, hold on. I wasn't playing the game with guides. I just wanted to know how to get companions. <laughs> oh, okay. I gotta figure out how I get this item. Oh, better look it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, I, Nick. I only have so much time in the day. Very busy person. Okay. Um. I yeah. I, I was. I was waiting to unlock items. I was mm -hmm. waiting to unlock companions. I still never got the Sisyphus dialogue after like <laughs> 30 or 40 runs to unlock his companion, which is infuriating to me. So like there is stuff that can be like rough or missed over or like, oh, I missed Zagreus's nighttime bed adventure. So I didn't I never got to go into the, you into, the record, into the records room for really forever. You never did that. I I. Did the first one of where I found about Persephone, like yeah. when you're supposed to, but the other one, like I skipped over for like a long time. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I never ran into the issue where I feel like stuff was. I feel like every time I had a new run, there was always something I was looking forward to interacting with when I 
return to the palace of the undead. Every time I went home after a death, and I think this is the beauty of Hades, every time I died, I always felt excited to start back to zero because that meant I get to talk to Achilles. I get to see what's going on with him and um, what is, what's, what's that dude's name? I forget. It starts with Thana- Thanocles, right? Thanocles. Sure. No, not Thanocles. Um, whatever, though. Like, just the fact that I was excited to hang out with these cool characters again, that I could upgrade the underworld via the um, the builders in there by turning in gems. The fact that I could give new fish to the chef to get new items for my collectibles. The fact that I could upgrade Zagreus. The, the, the fact that I could upgrade a new aspect of my weapon. I always felt excited to return to see how the world had changed, how the world state has shifted. Um, one thing that you had mentioned while you were in the middle of your playthrough uh, was that you you said that the, you felt as though the game was made by people who love MOBAs, the, who specifically love Dota. Why? <laughs> there's there's so it was weird as a Dota player to sit down and play Hades because there's just not outright allusions, but very similar naming conventions, um, and and it feels like. And now I'm. I wish I. Is it like they were, boons they, or they, something? They were written down, but yeah, like between boons or items, it feels like there's an intuitive naming convention between like, oh, what do we call the spell that that um, Hercules gives, where when enemies move they take damage? Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll call it rupture. Mm-hmm. That's a Dota thing. Like the the other ones are slipping my mind, but there there's multiple. There's like I think there's like a break mechanic which is the same as is in Dota. There there there's more than there's more than one where it seems like they use similar naming conventions, and I'm like. Do these people definitely play Dota? <laughs> it's super interesting, though, because I, that is a, just a thing that I had zero context for because I don't play Dota. And I was actually listening. It's been a while since I've listened to the Giant Bombcast, but I listened to this week's episode. And Jeff Gerstman, who worked alongside Greg Kasavin at GameSpot because they were, were both coworkers, was like, oh, yeah, I mean, this game is basically pulling concepts straight out of Dota 2. Like, I was talking to Greg, and he just, like, yeah, my team loves playing Dota too. So, like, yeah, your your observations were very astute. Like, the people who made the game love Dota. Well, I feel good about that. Yeah, I, I <laughs> wish that I I wish that I had a more broken down list because um, because it really bothers me now that I, that I can't make more allusions to it. But I, I like the first one happens and you're like, hmm, that's weird. It's named the same thing. But then by the time the third or fourth thing happens, you're like, wait a second. But it, there's it's, just allusions to Dota in here. Well, it's interesting though because like even though I'm not familiar with you know many MOBAs or whatever, the thing that I understand about MOBAs is that you are often forced to make lightning fast decisions to pick up and acquire items that slightly alter behind the scenes stats and maybe occasionally a very big upfront scene like ability or something like that. And I think that's a th- that's like the behind-the-scenes mechanics that I think make a lot of RPGs and a lot of um, roguelikes actually good, even though they're often invisible. And I think they separate a good game from a bad game, even though a lot of people aren't typically cognizant of the choices that they're making in relation to you know a 2% boost to deflecting damage or something like that. But I think when it's nailed properly, I think you get games that just feel good to play. And I think that's what Hades does because of those behind-the-scenes choices that happen and the stat boosts that happen that you might not be able to perceive. But something about how they contribute to your overall experience 
feels good. It feels like you optimized yourself in a way that you are ready for whatever's ahead. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, Something that I would love to talk about that I didn't get the full opportunity to mess around with, but I had to do some background reading on and I think is ingenious is the way that they implemented what they call God mode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I messed around with that because I was like, I got to see what this is. So God mode is a bit of a misnomer, I guess, in traditional in, in other games because yeah. normally God mode means you're invulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. God mode in Hades means that you start at like, 30 percent 20 20 percent damage resistance yeah they, you just you enemies. get a stat buff that is permanent if you have god mode ticked on called 20 percent tougher yeah so if someone is going to do 100 damage to you, they only do 80 you, you take 20 you have increased 20 percent damage resistance every time you die you gain two percent damage resistance mm-hmm. so if you're someone who's really struggling because hades isn't an easy game no it's it's difficult it's difficult it requires a lot of quick twitch mechanics it requires a lot of um for a switch game it requires a lot of apm to actually, <laughs> like you know be hitting your spells right or or your items there's three different buttons you can use for multiple attacks but more if you like combo them with dashes you know there, there, there's a lot going on the bosses aren't easy regular rooms sometimes aren't easy right mm-hmm. so you die, you gain 2% damage resistance to god mode. And mind you, you can toggle god mode off on and off anytime. It's not like it's permanently ruining your save file. Right. Um, and then what, what happens there is that you naturally start to build up a resistance through your death where the game balances out to a level that is easier for you to always win. I think it makes wins achievable. If yeah. you are in the worst Hades player in the entire world and you lose 40 runs mm-hmm. in a row, <laughs> then your damage resistance goes to 100, I think. Oh, does it actually increase to 100? I don't know if it increases I'm to I'm curious if it caps at a certain point or if you do eventually get to 100%. Which would be true God mode. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. It would make sense for it to go to 100%. I'd be very curious because, I, I one, I think it's, yeah, as he said, uh, an under-the-radar feature that I think is super important in modern day because this game appeals to people like you and I, people who have cut our teeth on difficult games and love and enjoy them. But this game was appealing to a lot of my coworkers who, because I, I work on the L.A. side, so they don't typically play a lot of video games. They're more movie and TV-focused at IGN L.A. And so I had coworkers who were like, Oh, I picked up that Hades game because, like, the way you talked about, like, the characters and the dialogue and stuff seemed like something I'd enjoy. But the game's really hard. Like, what, like, is, do you have any tips? And I just told him, like, hey, you know, don't feel bad. Turn on this mode. It'll make the game a little bit easier every single time you die. And they're like, oh, this is great because, like, I feel like I got it. But every now and then, you know, just because I'm not used to this kind of a game. I'll, I'll die, and it's, I just want to hear the next dialogue. I want to see Zagreus figure out what's going on with his dad and Persephone. Yeah, so that, that's why it's really cool, because it lets you, through trial and error, what you're already doing in a roguelike, set your own difficulty. Maybe you're someone who doesn't do super well at 0% damage resistance, but does really good at 30% damage resistance, mm-hmm. and then at 30%, you start to win most of your runs. Maybe it's 50 for you. Maybe it's 60. Maybe it's 65 or 66, because there's all of your numbers, whatever. You know, 
I think that it's super smart that people build up their tolerance and then find a level to, you know, to, to equalize that versus either switching God mode on and having like a base level 80 resistance you can't change. Yeah. That wouldn't be fun for someone who wants to have an easier game or like needs the assistance. But here, I, it's, it's probably, it, I bet that God mode in Hades will win whatever the equivalent of the accessibility award in video games mm. is in 2020. I don't know if that, I don't know who that's given out by, but, but, but by like the, the game developers conference, if they have any kind of accessibility award that it's over. It's hey, a, yeah, that's a game changing feature. Killed it with, with their God mode feature. It makes so much sense. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's, it's, I think it's just, again, one of the many facets of the game that is, truly indicative of the kind of care and um like foresight in designing an aspect of the game um and it's just it's not a thing that a lot of people um have the luxury of doing but i think that through early access i truly think that this game was made in early access of Mm -hmm. course it was made in but like perfected in early access to some extent like they they hammered it home and they really owned in on their craft in early access because like any live game you know it's always a a a dialogue between you and your audience if you're the creator and so trying to see the things that your community has a problem with and maybe not giving into their demands a hundred percent but kind of reaching this compromise where like oh okay i see why you wouldn't want to just make this easier but you address the problem we had with it and i think that's a lot of what hades does from a, a design perspective but um the last thing i want to touch on is something that i think Supergiant is just known for um their music the i thought that i went into this game expecting bastion or transistor where the music was a core central theme and conceit of the game but i feel like that wasn't the case with hades i feel like the music in hades was relegated to the muse and his uh i'm sorry to um orpheus and his muse eurydice and you know orpheus is a musician who has lost his muse they sing separately apart but once you unite them together they compose a beautiful song together but all throughout i think the music of, of hades was like good in the way that it just feels like good video game music but it really is this blend of like ancient loot combined with like modern rock mm-hmm. which is kind of cool it's kind of funky but i dig like the the clash and culture that works um but it never really stuck out to me like oh you know this is just another another classic in in super giants and daring corbs a uh, repertoire because that <laughs> dude can compose the shit out of anything until I rolled credits on the game. I think, spoilers for rolling credits on Hades, but I got to a point, because I was playing it for review, where I was getting down to crunch time, I'm like, I gotta cut this review in like three days, but I still haven't rolled credits. What am I gonna, how many times do I have to beat this dude? Like, what's going on? And then eventually I got to a point where, you know, you breach the surface, you finish the, those damn satyrs. I hated those, like they're fun. But man, those satyrs, the poison satyrs are a pain in the ass. Ugh. Just dodge them. Oh, yeah, just dodge them. That's fine. No, I, mean, just, you, I don't want to you know, be that guy, but if you tried just getting good. <laughs> but the second you, on your final like story escape from Hades, it really stuck out to me like just how good they are at telling a story. 
because you escape to the surface one final quote unquote final time and Hades is your dad once again is there waiting to stop you and you kind of get ready as the player like all right time to fight him again and then he's like he's upset you see your dad upset in a way that Hades has never shown weakness or reluctance and he just basically says you know what I did essentially he doesn't admit it but you can tell he's like I fucked up uh, go see your mom because you know there's not much I can do to stop you anymore. Clearly, and you don't fight him on your the the run that you get to roll credits. And there's this beautiful tragedy of like ancient Greek myth is known for its tragedy. Like that's kind of they kind of invented mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know uh, poetic dramatic tragedies and whatnot. But there's something kind of beautiful about how Hades ends because I did expect it to be a tragedy. You know, it is tragic that he can exist on the surface alongside his mom because he just doesn't belong there. And there's something about Zagreus's quest to find a place that he fits in that is just like very present for most people playing the game. But just the fact that he physically cannot exist alongside of his mom, you think that's where the line is drawn. Like this is a Greek tragedy. It's sad, whatever. But the final moments of the game where you, She's like, you know what? You're right. I should come back home, and I think it'd be good for everyone. And then she gets on the boat to River Styx, and as the credits rolled, the first like the first time I actively like like gasped at the music was in the blood playing as you're slowly cruising along the River Styx, where I was like, oh no, I was wrong. This music rules. Like every song in this game is a banger, and it was just like this really beautiful like cap to Zagreus's story where I was like, wow, that's, yeah, that makes sense. It, it, it bridged the gap of Greek tragedy that ancient Greece was known for, but then turned it into a fairy tale by giving it a happy ending, which was nice because it's just like, I just want to be happy now, man. Zagreus needs to be happy. He's a cool dude. And I, I just really love the way the music and the, the central like plot beat came together at the end. And I thought it was a beautiful moment of serendipitous calm and excitement i think we should uh end off with doing a little bit of fan service and maybe answer some some questions that people might have in terms of in terms of gameplay for us some things some curiosities for anyone else who's played hades at this point Mm. so um who was your favorite god to get boons from and then if there isn't a favorite like what's like a loose top three my favorite god to get boons from Probably um, Athena, the def- Athena, the deflecting. What? The deflecting stuff is awesome. What? Athena is in my bottom two. Dude, deflecting dash is incredible. Yeah, deflecting is cool when you can get it. But if I, if my option is between Athena and almost anyone else, oh, I I choose everyone else. The the god I actively disliked who really caught me, Ares. I did not like Ares' stuff at all. Oh, dude, dude, we played totally different games. <laughs> I, it depend, okay, so it depended on what weapon I was using, uh-huh. which I think is kind of important yeah, to the context course. here. But overall, big picture, the three gods that I chose the most stuff from was uh, Poseidon, Zeus, and Ares. Poseidon's too risky. So Poseidon is great. Because he oftentimes his his boons to your attack and special attack are straight damage buffs and pushback. 
Yeah, I mean, they're great for pushback. That's why I like it, because I really like pushing enemies up against the wall and dealing extra damage that way. But I think Poseidon's a super big risk, because a lot of his boons are all, like, they're pushback and damage buffs, but a lot of them are just like, hey, you just get a bunch of money right now. That's also cool. But it, it, it's cool, but it's, I think, again, another interesting risk-reward. Poseidon's buffs, I think, are prob maybe my favorite. I think they're the most interesting. I just think they combo the best because pushback plus rupture plus wall damage plus, you know, getting yeah. other stuff to wall. I think Poseidon has the potential, depending on what your build is, to have, like, the most damage. I think Ares is super fun because because the Doom mechanic is really fun. The Doom mechanic is really good. I think the Doom mechanic is really fun, depending on, again, which weapon you're playing. But I would always prefer to choose Ares. Um, Zeus... If I had a rapid attack weapon, I think lightning is super fun. Cast um, with the cast lightning was very fun. That, I think that's the that's the best way to do casting is if you have lightning just because of pure damage and then jolt damage, then lightning bouncing yeah. chains. Like I think you could do a lot of fun. I think Zeus is good for speedrun options. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Artemis is someone who I was really cold on in the beginning. Ah, I see what you did. But with the right, that's uh, that's uh, that's yeah. No, I got it wrong. Yes. Uh, What's her name again? The ice one? Oh my god. Fucking not Persephone. Not. Oh, this is. Demeter. Nice. That's what it is. Demeter. Demeter. Whatever. Um, uh, and then. Yeah, but, but Artemis is someone who I came around on, who I didn't like in the beginning because I thought crit was kind of dumb. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just, Until you just do crit damage, I feel I, like. Until you do crit damage, and it does a lot. And then you're like, oh, maybe I really should take this crit thing seriously. <laughs> yeah, like, so, so that, that could be a lot of fun. Her summon's um, very good, too, where it just summons the giant she, arrow. She has the best, um, like, god meter. It does, it does the most damage. Like, also, Poseidon's is really good, too, where you just become, like, invincible, but you can push enemies. So, so is Ares. Ares is also pretty good. Ares but, is pretty good, too. But the, the best one, in my opinion, was... Um, was... Uh, oh, my God. Uh, Artemis. For, for God Meter. The, my favorite cast spell, actually, was, uh, was Demeter. Because you could the the ice beams the the track oh the crystals mm -hmm. I don't like those super super fun to play around properly um, I, it's interesting that we could have such different tastes in, in that uh, we Dude, also the... might have different tastes in weapons oh yeah for sure I uh, I think I had the most fun playing with the bow oh and in particular with the aspect that makes your special hone in on uh your target once you hit them with your normal attack mm -hmm. i think that there's a lot of fun uh for properly kiting enemies where you're hitting them you're dodging around you're playing kind of like a dark souls game where you're keeping distance and then i like the aspect of the mini game that you play where you can do bonus damage if you power shot at the correct time right so i think that that's really fun because it just adds another little mechanic inside of the attack mechanic which which just made it more fun. Um, it's almost like an active reload in Gears of War. Exactly. I really liked uh, the first time I cleared it was on the railgun, even though I think it's my least favorite weapon. Yeah, the I I think that's the beauty of the game too. It's just like you find weapons where you're like, oh, I don't think I like this, but then because the game incentivizes you because like, oh, extra fifteen percent darkness, you're like, okay, fine, I'll use the railgun. And then you get an accidental victory. You're like, oh, maybe I should take the railgun more seriously. <laughs> yeah, uh, I really, really liked. I think my f tied for my favorite weapon is uh, two different versions of the fists. 
Mm. The magnetic ones that pull enemies towards you, which I think is the best for speed running. I, I got like a 14 minute clear. The magnetic gloves are my favorite weapon in the game. They're uh, so much fun. And that's also when I found out that actually stacking crit on Artemis could actually yeah because you do with you hit so many times. There's so many opportunities for crit damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also the uh, the the bear claws, which are the final aspect. The of Enkidu, or I'm sorry, Gilgamesh's aspect. Gil- Gilgamesh's aspect, which you get on the gloves, which do swipe damage, uh, which gives you like a little bit more of an AOE, but lets the enemy take. Uh, it gives the an- enemy a damage buff, but. Uh, lowers their damage resistance so you do more damage but you also take more damage which mm. i think is a super interesting mechanic um yeah pretty much uh like every weapon is balanced in a way to be good and bad for you which is great that's fun that's exciting yeah and it's fun to unlock those aspects even the ones that are hidden that you kind of have to work for a little bit for normally those are the ones that have the most extreme deviations from the norm mm. uh but yeah like i had fun i originally didn't have fun with the sword the the way that I had the most fun with the sword is when I would get the, uh, the the hammer, which would allow me to lower my health by half. But oh yeah, do life steal? Yeah, I think life steal built with the sword is super fun, and that's the way that I kind of enjoyed it the most. But by and large, um, if I'm going back and I'm just having a, a run for funsies, I'm playing with fists or bows. Yeah, um, I think my favorite weapon is the um, fists of me- the Mephalon fists. Um, my favorite aspect is the magnetic one that. You know, when you go to uppercut, it brings them into you so that you don't really have to bridge the gap. The enemy does it for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just super satisfying to get in there. And um, my favorite was getting the Zeus aspect where every time I attack, it does a lightning bolt. Mm-hmm. And getting pairing that with the fist, it's like lightning bolts are just flying like crazy. And then you get them to chain. And it's just so fun. Um, I love that one. I really loved uh, the two hidden aspects for the sword and the spear. The spear one was fun because it felt like the first time that I was actively making the game harder because I, I lost so much health. But I really loved the idea of like the the um, holding, I'm sorry, the special kind of hovering in place. But if anything gets hit with your special, you do lifesteal, which is a lot of fun for me. Mm. But the the aspect of Arthur is probably the most fun one, especially in like Elysium where a bunch of shit's flying at you because you cast that barrier down on the floor and everything slows down once it enters its field. And it just felt cool. I really liked the way that felt. It kind of extends your reach with the sword as well. It's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, that, that man. And I, everything, uh, one thing, again, I didn't get a touch on in my review though. There's the, we talked about a little bit of the idea that because this game is just you versus the CPU, it's okay that the game has a tendency to be unbalanced in your favor because I think it breaks... Whenever you get lucky and get good enough boon combinations, you just get everything that you need for a run, you almost break the game with how easy it is, but it's fun because you feel like you earned it. It feels like you're taking advantage of a system that you know intricately how it works. And I think that's the right way to do a game like this. Yeah, uh, another Dota concept. Um, oh, really? Yeah, can... I mean, that, that permeates a lot of games, and especially a lot of roguelikes. But Dota's supposed to be fair! Some of, some of the most fun enjoyed Dota yeah. comes from breaking the game. Yeah. Um, you're just doing a silly amount most, of damage. Most overpowered boon, um, talking about breaking the game, is when you get lucky enough to get a dual boon, which oh, is when yeah. two uh, people work, two of the gods work together. Artemis plus Zeus 
where your casts that sit on the ground are like lightning rods oh. and just <laughs> do lightning damage in a giant AOE it is so broken. It's broken. It does so much DPS. It le- it allows you to just kind of like walk around all willy nilly and not fight, <laughs> especially in fights like the Theseus yeah. fight, where you just like leave cast. You plant on- a trap essentially. You leave cast on the ground around them, and they they have such a big AOE that they function in that there's just all this lightning hitting them, and you're just walking away. Doesn't matter. I really like the duo boon of uh, Dionysus and Zeus, where you have the drunken lob that's a cast that does like an AOE fog. The whatever that's called but any enemy who's trapped in the fog not only do you do a lot of like grenade like damage with your cast but the enemies get drunk status and also enemies who are in the fog get constantly struck by lightning and you also get an increase in damage resistance while you stand in the fog which is just like this is just too easy now at this point yeah Um, like it's fun though like there's so many fun combinations in the game that just they just work if if Half-Life Alex was not released in 2020, I think Hades would be my game of the year. I'm still kind of torn. I, I want to say Half-Life Alex, but I, I kind of want to say Hades. I don't think that they can fairly compete with each other because one, while it redefines a genre, and, and it, is, it is immaculately designed, it is fucking fun and portable and accessible to everyone and you don't need a VR headset to play it. I think Hades is a better job than any other game you're going to put up this year at like being just like a properly well-designed awesome game with all aspects that you want. Better than The Last of Us, better than Sekiro. Who knows what Cyberpunk's going to be like or who knows what comes out this year, am I right? But like, Nah, it's already gone gold. Uh, but like, I, I think Hades would win Game of the Year awards from people who are like paying attention or people who aren't just chills for Naughty Dog. <laughs> but I don't think it's fair to compete with Half-Life Alex, which almost single-handedly redefines gaming and makes VR an entire experience. Well, I think it it is again, I think you do think it is unfair to compare them even though you're going to we're going to kind of have to by the end of the year. But I do think Hades is what happens when someone figures out how the min-max on designing a video game. It feels like the most video game video game while also evolving genres and i think pushing the boundaries of what video games should be from a mechanical and story standpoint whereas half-life alex is pushing the actual boundary of the medium of video games which is uh, two different things that are both really cool but it just sucks that we have to compare both of them yeah and people are <laughs> going to continue to compare both of them and I, and I and i firmly sit in the camp that Half-Life Alex is a game that nothing else can literally compare to because of what it does. You literally live another life. <laughs> and and how, um, like, Half-Life Alex has some problems, like, whether it be, like, a little bit of bugs or glitches or, or gameplay length or what have you, or, like, depth of story. Like, you can, you can nitpick that game, right? But it is a transformative gaming experience, which is why I think that it is unequivocally game of the year, yeah. right? If you take Half-Life Alex out of the equation, I would be fighting tooth and nail to argue that Hades is better than The Last of Us or whatever other game you want. Oh, it's you want to leaps and bounds better than The Last of Us Part Two, than Ghosts of Tsushima, and honestly, it's probably going to be better than Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> bold, bold, bold. Uh, well, I, I think it's just 
super giant games since the release of Bastion. When I played Bastion as a high school student, I was just like, I didn't understand it at the time, but there was some part of me that was like, these people know how to make a good video game. I didn't really know why, but I was just enthralled by my experience beginning to end. Mm-hmm. So much so that as soon as I rolled credits, I played through it again just to make that other alternate choice at the end of the game. And then with Transistor, while Transistor might not be my speed compared to Bastion, it is another just monument to game design because it is taking almost like a coding approach to video game design and combat encounters where if X, then Y, and it makes that captivating in some interesting ways. And then their third game, Hades, is... Well, I still think Pyre is good too based on... How much Pyre did you play? I played like three hours of it. Wow, you can really... I mean, that's not doing it justice. Well, I do think Pyre is interesting from a visual novel slash like just hey, your choices are important, but here's why. And I think that's what's good about that game. Even though it might not be as flashy as Bastion, Transistor, or Hades, I think I do think it's doing something not a lot of other games are. And then Hades, I think, is just basically, hey, what's the best part of Bastion? What's the best part of Transistor? And what's the best part of Pyre? And how do we make that a new game? And that's what they did. Yeah, it's great. I would love to see, I mean... Supergiant has me. They're, they're a developer that has me. I'll always be interested in what they do, and I have been for a long time, right? And I'm going to keep doing it, and I'm super excited that Hades, and I want to spread the Hades love, and I'm happy that a lot of people are on the Hades train because it deserves it. Um, I think it's a great Switch game. I know a lot of people who are playing primarily on PC because of you know whatever reason. I think it's a phenomenal Switch game. Mm. Um, I'm glad to hear that it runs well. It runs well. Um, there's very light chugging if you have an excessive amount of enemies. Yeah, yeah. It only does 720 because it's primarily built for handheld mode. If you're plugging into a dock and plugging into 4K TV, you might be like, yeah, is it a little... Um, some of the particle effects are like, that doesn't look great. But it's optimized for handheld mode. I think that the game, it is a great handheld game to go play outside on an airplane, which we don't do anymore. Whatever. <laughs> Hades... Could not recommend more. Um, one of the best games we talked about uh, on the show. Uh, not a 10 out of 10. And I mean that. I don't think it's a 10 out of 10. Uh, I think it's a 9 out of 10. And, uh, and yeah, I think that, I think that uh, we should tell people what's going to happen next week. And I'm excited about this one for a completely different reason than I'm Joey, excited about I, 80s. I thought you said Mario Mania was over. Mario Mini is over. Uh, but why are we playing a Paper Mario game? We're not playing a Paper Mario but what do you, game. But it's Paper Mario. No, 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 Nick. I told you we're playing Bug Fables. Oh. Why is this the Paper Mario game we wanted? Or is it? That's, that's what we're going to find out. Uh, I think that... Do we want Paper Mario? Classic Paper Mario. True, distilled, real Paper Mario. I think that this is a game that we have now mentioned over the course of two or three episodes or other you know, shows that we do uh, as something that was of interest, especially because of its upbringing being you know, uh, a, a Kickstarter game mm-hmm. from South America that is an, uh, an ode to one of our favorite games of all time that uh, we are nostalgic about. Big so, shoes to fill. Giant shoes to fill. Uh, also came out on Switch, which... Makes everything better in 2020, I guess. <laughs> uh, so 
If you are someone who has an affinity for classic Paper Mario games, you should check out Bug Fables because that's what it sells itself on. We're going to go ahead and play it, and we'll be back next week to talk about talk about Bug Fables. It's a meaty RPG, so you got a lot of homework to do. But until next time, goodbye. <laughs>